And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. Hey, hustlers, uh, founders, investors, and startup enthusiasts. I'm Ron Shigeta. Uh, Matt's taking a little break, and he's letting me host a four-part series exploring how my virtual accelerator, iAccelerate.tech, works, how venture capital investment works, and what happens to teams when they, they're going through that process. Um, we have four, we have a, this is the first of a series of four podcasts with entrepreneurs and advisors from my Accelerate. Today, we have a very special, uh, a special one. This is um, uh, Will Clem and Oren Wilson from Byte Ninja. Uh, Will and I go way back, and this is not his first rodeo, but actually both of them are experienced entrepreneurs. And, um, uh, uh, I just want to say that it's going to be, we're going to talk about what's it like to come from more experienced point of view. It's not something that we think of as startup, uh, founders being, but actually it's very helpful. Uh, before I, uh, before we get started, I just want to thank full scale for sponsoring today's podcast episode. Go learn how full scale helps you win the, win a, build a winning software team quickly and affordably go to fullscale.io. Uh, so let's get started. Uh, Will, Oren, hey, thanks for coming on. Yeah, hey, thanks glad to be here. Great. Uh, so what we're saying, like, why, why don't we do a little bit of an introduction to yourself uh, and then uh, and and let's talk about your experience before starting Byte Ninja before we get into it, because it's a really interesting uh, aspect of, of, of who you are and what the company's doing. Will, yeah, you sure. and I go way back, actually, and you oh, yeah. had... You've had several careers. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, I'm, so by training, um, I'm a PhD in engineering. So it's actually biomedical engineering. And um, uh, I guess really what kind of got me into this, if you go all the way back to the um, around the year, late 1990s, early 2000s, I was um, going to school to be a, a, a doctor. So I was looking at medical schools and said, all right, um, Time to apply to medical school. What are you? Where are we going to go? And about that time, there was a an article that came out in Time Magazine that said um, the hottest jobs of the the 21st century, and it, and it was listed all these things. A lot of more programming type jobs, but number one was tissue engineer. I said, all right, this sounds exciting. Um, let's let's go do this. So, um, packed up the bags, moved to uh, University of Michigan, and studied tissue engineering with all the. At the time, it was kind of a new field. Um, and uh, I have to explain to people what is tissue engineering like okay, uh, yeah, so, not making a car with meat but all right <laughs> so tissue engineering is um, so the principle is it's basically growing spare parts so these are medical applications so let's say if you're uh, you know you chop off a thumb will grow a new thumb you chop off an ear will grow a new ear for you it's the spare parts off the shelf that'll be ready for implantation and these are made from the patient's own cells so um, the way it works is you go take a, a little biopsy of whatever tissue you're going to do. Um, and we grow these up in, in cell culture incubators. Put, so the next step is you put these onto biodegradable scaffolds. 
and the cells just naturally grow and fill out these scaffolds and um, they're kind of, and you can, you can give them little growth factors and kind of guide them along the way, but the cells that they kind of know how to form these tissues, if you give them the right cues. <laughs> and uh, these are medical applications. It, it sounds really exciting. Um, about the hand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that turned out to be a useful and inspiring idea for, for you. Uh, I, I think we're going to jump ahead to your entrepreneurial career. Um, you, you know, so you, you've been doing all this tissue engineering, you've been working at a few companies yeah. doing that. And, um, and then what happened, like your entrepreneurial career, your second entrepreneurial career started, I think we'll start with the second one, go back to the first yeah. one. Yeah, sure. Um, so, you know, along that time, um, I had actually kind of getting a little bit discouraged because tissue engineering, it had all this hype and excitement and, you know, everybody was saying it's like going to be the greatest thing ever. And you know, even years and years later, a lot of the promising things just haven't happened. You know, you don't see people really growing spare parts, growing hearts and things like you think. So, um, you know, this is kind of completely unrelated, but at the time I had recently invested in some restaurants locally. So food was like all, all over my mind and you know, it was top of my mind here. And I was um, just thinking, well, the, the problem with tissue engineering is that when you implant these spare parts, they grow great in the lab. You can grow all the, the pieces you want. When you put them in the patient, they just don't do very well. They die. And there's this little hurdle where you can't, we can't really grow the blood supply very well. So you, you take it out of the incubators, put it in the human, and it just slowly starts dying away. Okay, well, I just had this idea that said, well, you know what? That's not really a problem if the end goal is not medical. What if the end goal was food? <laughs> so, um, so the, you know, we're growing little pieces of, of muscle. Well, muscle is meat and we can do that easily. We're doing that. We've been doing that for years. You know, even back in the nineties, we were doing this. So, um, you know, I, I pitched these ideas first to my advisors and they just thought it was absolutely crazy. And, you know, <laughs> like this stuff is really expensive. I'm talking thousands of dollars, you know, well, hundreds of thousand dollars to, to actually grow, um, entire organs. But, um, I don't know. We just, we just kept, feeling pretty sure of ourselves that, you know what, um, it's, it's just really just a problem of scale. If we can, uh, <laughs> I don't know, um, if, if you, sometimes if you scale right. these things up, the price can come down, but um, I don't know, we, the next so thing. Talking, we did, you, you were talking with people who became your co-founders, right? Yeah, that's right. And um, so, I mean, yeah, I found a few, a couple other people, really Nick, um, he, Nick he went to with me. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Um, so he was a scientific co-founder. He, he went to, um, actually, we met in business school at um, uh, years ago. We were taking MBA classes on the side. And um, he was studying virology and just kind of came to me. And see, uh, Nick is a, a, a vegetarian. And he's really, really motivated by, let's, let's stop hurt, hurting animals for food. Um, so I guess he had this idea on the side. And he actually approached me and said, you know, you're doing all this tissue engineering we talk about all the time what do you think about making a business out of this? And um, I mean, everyone that we talked to advisors and above just thought this was a crazy idea. Anyway, we pitched it to, to uh, startup accelerator. It wasn't Y Combinator. It was down the road at Indie bio. This is where yeah. Ron was. And that's where I was at the time. Yeah. And so to be honest with you guys, I'm actually just surprised that you accepted the proposal because it was just a crazy idea in hindsight. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, uh, they, they, Accepted the proposal. I mean, 
and we we worked pretty hard on it but um i guess the rest is kind of history that um at the time no one was doing anything like this i mean there were no cultured meat companies even even the idea of it had never even been heard of i mean there were medical applications for tissue engineering like one someone made a hamburger and just like shelved it there for a few years yeah that's it Um, now but now that that company founded at the time was called memphis meats Mm-hmm. And now it's just changed. It's now called Upside Foods. Yep. But uh, you, do you remember the last how how much they raised in the last round? Oh yeah, it's uh, I mean it's around two hundred million dollars. It's almost a billion dollar company, yeah. and um, uh, and and there's uh, there's a hundred there's almost a hundred cultivated meat companies in the world now. It's like a whole wave that was that you guys started, which was amazing, really. Um, uh, that's one of the things I'm the most proud of. It's almost like we founded an entire industry. Now, I don't want to take credit for really the entire idea because there were other, there were, it was all in research labs. So there, there, there were maybe two or three labs in the country that were kind of looking at tissue engineering for food applications, sort of. But uh, when Memphis Meats came on the scene, um, it really gave credibility to the idea because investors put money into it. Um, and then from that, now, if you fast forward to today, about six years later, there's, yeah, 50 to 100 cultured meat companies all over the world working on this project. That's great. Now, that's not your only entrepreneurial uh, experience. Now, this is where you and Oren met. That's your other round. So, well, you guys are from Memphis, Tennessee, and where you have your restaurants. And, and you want to tell me how you guys got together? Yeah, sure. Um, so, um I had just traditional restaurants. I mean, I'm third generation restaurant owner and these are family recipes. I don't call myself a chef really. I just, um, uh, I started some restaurants really as a means to kind of not have to have a day job. So um, I was working at a company. um, Actually, what brought me to Memphis was a company called Wright Medical. And Memphis is also uh, just happens to be like a medical device. hub. We do a lot of um, orthopedic engineering here. And just you know, uh, working day to day for the other company. I mean, it was fun work, but it's not my company. And it kept me where I was really tied down nine to five, really eight to five or even longer, um, taking a lot of my time. So as just a research or, or as more of like a, um, a side project, we, we invested in some restaurants. And, you know, a lot of people like to kind of, make fun of restaurants and think like, ah, this is just a high school job that, you know, people use as a stepping stone to other bigger and better jobs. But really that's only partially true. That that's really true for what you call your entry level uh, positions where you're working the front counter. Uh, The secret is there's actually a lot of money in restaurants and it even surprised me because I mean, we'd only been open six months and really quickly, we would take in so much money at this one little street corner, you know, it was across the street from the grocery store that it just dwarfed my salary working as PhD engineer at Wright Medical. I mean, literally in, in a Friday night, we would make like half of my annual salary. And <laughs> to pay for the food, but that's, and the plate. Yeah. That's still, yeah. yeah, no, that was a lot of money to take home after that, I'm mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's a big difference between being an entrepreneur and, and, and being, a salary person, you just have no idea how much money uh, is coming through and where it goes. You're just giving your piece, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and uh, and so and so, why you this? You want to tell people what the restaurant is? Want to tell? Just give it a yeah. plug. 
Yeah, so if you're in the Memphis area, stop by. It's called Baby Jacks. We're um, kind of in the suburbs of Memphis. Um, it's traditional, yeah. but it's a barbecue, quick yeah. service restaurant. Yep, quick service. We have drive-throughs and front counter. About ninety percent of the business is to go, but we do have little lobbies. You can come hang out with us. I mean, it is, it's very traditional barbecue. There's no cultured meat served. <laughs> and I think that confuses a lot of people because they read about us in the paper and they're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to go taste that cultured meat. But yeah, it's, it's, it's very traditional um, family recipes. Actually, uh, grandparents um, started this back in the 60s and we do. I don't take credit for the recipes there. They've been in the family a long time. <laughs> and so this is about this is this is where you met Oren. Uh, I'm going to, Lauren, Lauren, let's bring you on. I'll tell you that. Tell, you can tell that story. But, you know, you, by the time you had met Will, you had built a business of your own. Right. Yeah, I guess it, originally I'd started off in uh, either big data tech companies or accounting and finance, things like that. Um, and so had moved over into entrepreneurial journey, uh, I guess, kind of like Will did, where you just felt like you were a cog in a machine for a while. And so moved over to the public accounting space um, <laughs> and experienced what was a very antiquated system of running a business because you've got kind of a professional specialist um, doing the bulk of the manual legwork. And if that person gets out of the business, the business pretty much just shuts down and dies. Uh, and so basically, instead of trying to convince a bunch of people that there are better ways to do it and you can build a system that works for you, I uh, just decided to go out and do that. So partnered with a few people and we started a business service acquisitions group. So we bought accounting firms um, from Arkansas, New York, Minnesota, Tennessee, uh, partnered with some uh, offshore companies to where we were providing outsourced technical labor uh, through technology to a lot of these, uh, a lot of these firms. And so. And that lets you understand like probably scores and scores of different businesses out there as, as being their accountant. Right. It's, it's essentially a data company because you get to see what all these different types of businesses are struggling with. Um, and then you get to kind of translate this dead language of financials to them and say, hey, this relates to this. This is how you could, if you change this, it'll change this number type of thing. And uh, we had actually just moved into the Memphis area, which is where Will and I connected because I always like talking to innovative people that we work with. And I think our <laughs> first meeting was like, uh, you know, it's supposed to be like a 15 minute conversation. We were there for like four hours, just, <laughs> just talking about all kinds of things. And um, so, you know, me being someone who uh, I guess likes standardized systems and building out something you can build a scale. Uh, we started talking about ways to grow franchise groups and then integrating technology to make those much easier to run, but also be kind of uh, um, competitive differentiator uh, to come in, which uh, I, I guess leads into the most recent Thing that we've been working on right so now we're got, finally getting to bite ninja uh who wants to who wants to tell a little tell people what Byte ninja does and and just a little bit maybe a little bit of a story about how you guys got into that i like will's story to this all right it's pretty funny well Byte ninja it's it's cloud labor for restaurants so what we do is we take the drive-through uh, that already has a speaker and microphone and we outsource that position to trained freelancers working from home offices so think like Uber and Lyft drivers, um, uh, you know, used to call a taxi. Now you call an Uber or Lyft and these are 1099 contractors. Um, now, if you need somebody to staff your drive through you call Byte Ninja and we can pop in there in seconds and fill that position. And your customers are not even going to know that the person on the other end of that speaker is not in the restaurant. It feels very natural. That's amazing. That's amazing. And so 
and 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 that happened during COVID shutdown, right? It is, um, and but you know, it really solves a problem that exists uh, before COVID. Um, I mean, we benefit from that, obviously, but um, I mean, uh, everybody's pretty remote from home. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, really, restaurants have always been extremely hard to staff. I mean, if it's a Friday, Saturday, Sunday night you can about guarantee that a certain percentage of your staff is going to call out. I mean, it's, from, I mean, I, I could talk all day about some excuses and my second cousin's aunt's getting married on Sunday. I got to be off. So, I mean, it's a frustration that if, if you've got restaurants, you know, that, you know, you're going to have this trouble that, um, and really what it is is that people don't want to be told, that they have to come into a job, especially on weekends. Who wants to do that? You got weekend plans and you got a, a boss telling everybody like, here's the schedule. You have to come in this weekend and say, well, I got to, if they say they're going to go to the lake, then they're going to have problems. So an hour to do it <laughs> but, yeah. at least two um, or this year. Yep. And this is, this is where bite ninja comes in. You flip on bite ninja switch. Um, and now that same restaurant that's begging people to come in, like, please come work my drive through. We're going to be so busy. Um, now all of a sudden you say, Hey, this is a work from home position. Um, man, that restaurant posts a job and it's not uncommon to get 10, 12, 15 people bidding on that shift and saying, pick me, pick me. I want to work. And it's awesome. And then that same person that, that gets the shift, let's say if they go, um, well, something came up. Um, I'd actually, I've got plans. I'm going to go to the lake this weekend. Um, they can give that shift up and they have zero problems getting someone to cover it. So it's taken a job that is there's just constant butting heads between the managers and the, and the employees. And it's made it where there's all this freedom and everyone loves, loves doing the job. That's, it's, a, it's an amazing story. We're going to take a little break. I'm just going to remind everybody today's episode of Startup Hustle sponsored by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordable. I'm your, I'm your guest host, Ron Chigetta, uh, uh, from the next gen accelerator, iAccelerate.tech. Okay. Uh, so we just started, we just finished talking a little bit about Bite Ninja, and you're, you know, you've got this great idea, and you know, you're solving some restaurant personnel HR problems with an eight, you know, Orin's HR expert, and you're, you know, you're a restaurant owner. So that's a great team. I just want to say that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, people often think that startup startup founders should be like just fresh out of school, but they're not really. They're um, it's if they're experienced, they they do much better on the average. It's just that people don't often want to break away from their career when they're more mature, when they've been when they've been working for ten or twenty years, and uh, and so they're just not as often not found as often. I think I think that's a little myth about startups. Uh, and what's really interesting, I think, is really inspiring about you guys is you actually had very successful businesses, and you sort of like took them and turned them into this new startup in a way. I mean, the business are still going on, but you, but you sort of like come also using them to sort of make Byte Ninja more effective. How's that? Um, yeah, that's a good point, Ron. That um, so I think that that's changing though now with with remote work. So mm -hmm. um, so I've, I've gone through it both ways. When when you back up to Memphis meets when we, um, we had this idea. I mean, I had a two month old baby at home <laughs> and a business that was running and we'd actually just signed a new lease on a new location. It wasn't open yet, by the way, but we're paying the lease on it. And uh, Nick and I, we applied to any bio were accepted. I had to pack up and move 
to San Francisco and live in downtown. Uh, I think it was, you know, right there in the, the central part of, of town there. Yeah, that's right. And meanwhile, the business just more, more or less just crashing and burning back home. <laughs> you know, the wife with the baby, you know, stressed out. Um, uh, and that's just that's the way it had to be done. Um, this year with with Byte Ninja, it was a remote uh, startup accelerator through Y Combinator. And um, man, it was so much better. I mean, so like uh, where I spent a significant portion of my time in Indie Bio days, moving there, trying to find rent, even learning where the grocery store is, for example. <laughs> like, you know, I'm just, I'm out of my element. I can't get any work done. Um, with with Wyatt Combinator, it was remote and we have our home base here. Yeah, we have our meetings that we go to, but it didn't disrupt everything. And it was so much easier to keep, to get the business off the ground and running um, than it was, you know, packing up and moving. So that's, that's I mean, really changed. I mean, that's really changed, guys. I mean, like, I mean, it's not just it's not just you guys working out of Memphis, Tennessee, but there's um, I would say most of the startup action now is outside the Bay Area, which is a huge shift. And I think that's, we have to thank COVID for that. That a lot of these accelerator programs, the investors are they're working remotely anyway now too, and so they're they're more available to work with with companies outside the Bay Area or outside the hubs. And I think it's really been a great experience because you guys are out there with the customers and uh, you've got your restaurants that you're working with uh, there in town and you don't need to be in San Francisco. I mean, all these products keep rolling out in San Francisco. People really kind of don't care about them. because, <laughs> like, oh, it's another, it's another automated restaurant. It's another electric car company. Like, oh, how interesting. They don't even notice hardly. So uh, it's, it's, it's an amazing shift, really. It's very interesting. And that's, that's probably what I'd say to all the listeners out there, too, that are thinking, okay, I've got this great idea, or I've got an established business that I want to do some fundraising. Do you need to pack up and move to Silicon Valley? Like, I'd say, I mean, without knowing anything in business, probably not. As a matter of fact, I'd probably recommend you stay and do the hard work of building the business where you are, um, where you've got your, your connections and your home base. Now, it's another story. Do I want to do fundraising locally? No. Um, you've got to do that in San Francisco. There's no other place. I mean, even if you were to go to New York City, I mean, even, I mean, the San Francisco valuations of companies are crazy, even in New York. You know, it's, um, there's no place in the world you want to do that other than San Francisco, as far as I'm concerned. That's true. But you didn't have to come out. You guys haven't been out to San Francisco this past year, even though you did fundraise mm -hmm. all by phone, but it was with San people coming through the Bay Area, coming through White Combinator, coming through I Accelerate. So, that's uh, yeah. That's that's a good point. What uh, I, I so I, let me let me ask now. Like, what are you most uh, like? Just looking back on this, like you guys basically were putting together putting together little pieces of things and standing out by the drive-through of your restaurant a year ago, uh, and now you guys are well-funded startup trying to do some some bring in more and more customers. What, what what do you think of like maybe the two or three most interesting things that you've learned from this experience this last year? Or and you've been quiet. Why don't we start with you? Yeah, I'd say one of the uh, probably the biggest things of, we're all associated with moving quickly. Um, so one of the things we did, this was intentional, but it took off uh, much quicker than we thought it would. We did want to go get a lot of media, media coverage being the first to do something. And so kind of stake the flag in the ground. This is what we're doing. Um, it just happened to pair up with, you know, restaurants problems, hiring being everywhere. 
And so we got far more coverage than we were anticipating, which meant we had far more people just going directly to our website and signing up. So even before uh, we were getting into Y Combinator, doing a lot of team building or anything like that, we were speaking with presidents and CEOs of these large thousand unit uh, restaurant groups and realizing we really <laughs> we needed to do a lot more to grow quickly. And so, um, you know, being able to invest in different things and finding what those were. I mean, we, you know, Will and I have scaled companies before, but we've just never, we'd never experienced even, even in this light, um, what it, what it was looking like. And so, you know, things associated with team building. One of the things that I think, even as people who've uh, gone through the entrepreneurial journey, one thing that's really hard, Will and I talk about this all the time mm-hmm. is, being okay with something not being perfect. And Ron, I think you, uh, <laughs> I think you help us along with this a lot because there's this constant urge to make it perfect and tinker with it, make sure it's like, no, this needs to be perfect for the customer. When in reality, it just needs to be, uh, it needs to do the job and be something you can sell. And then you can iterate in the background and, uh, you know, improve it. Uh, but they're just, they're, you know, there wasn't really a lot of time to say, okay, let's, let's dedicate a year to make this perfect when we had people beating down our door to get the, uh, get access to the platform. Um, so I'd say, I mean, that would probably be everything that uh, we had a lot of learning opportunity with would be associated with scaling as quick as we could possibly move, building teams, uh, making sure the systems were okay to get into use without being just perfect, shiny, new, um, new platform. Uh, Will, I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like that that first step too. Where um, so when we were starting this thing, we had the option. We were like, well, do we want to go hire a bunch of salesmen to call restaurants and pitch this thing, or the other idea is let's just uh, call a PR firm that can. I mean, this is this is so it's not just a a restaurant um, story that restaurants are having trouble hiring. This is like a popular news story in general. So instead of, and we had very, very limited budget. This is even before our Y Combinator checks hit. You were reaching your own pocket for all this yeah. time. Out of right. So like, well, we're going to pay salesmen or we're going to pay PR firms. We probably can't, you know, we probably don't want to afford both without making the wives all upset with us. So um, uh, <laughs> I think we made the good call. We called the PR firm and really when the, the news companies would call and say, hey, we're doing this story on restaurants having trouble hiring. That just happens to be in the news. And we'd, we'd do all the press we could, and then we'd be on national TV and then all these great stories. And every time one of these hit, just boom, just this explosion of people wanting to sign up at the website. Well, and it was actually interesting. So remember back, we actually wrote the first few stories that got published in some publications. And the PR firm reached out to us and said, hey, this is a great story. We'd love to work with you. And so then it was like, oh, somebody can take this off our plate? Yes, please. Um, and then, you know, basically finding replacements for us that do a better job than we do has been uh, something we've uh, been fortunate enough to, I guess, do well over the last few months. But um, it was definitely something that you can learn the, the benefit of very quickly. Those are a couple of great stories, a couple of great stories. Um, and uh, I think, I, I think uh, as far as, uh, you know, it, that polishing thing, uh, you know, I still have problems with it. I think it's a daily struggle to sort of let something go that just there's a word on there that looks just completely awful to you and you just want to touch it. Um, and actually, sometimes you guys do this to me. And I'm like, you know, Ron, you just got to shut up and let them 
let them ship this. Um, it is a con it requires constant vigilance to remember how fast you're actually needing to go and whether or not you can actually do it. <laughs> it sounds so simple, but it's not. Um, uh, uh, but you know, and so what about uh, what were your impressions? Uh, you know, like maybe looking at Y Combinator. Uh, for those who don't know, Y Combinator is probably the world's most prolific startup accelerator, Uber and Airbnb and uh, quite a few famous names have come through there, um, a multi-billion dollar fund and hundreds of companies coming through here. It's like, you want to give us a couple like memories of, of what was most exceptional for you guys going through Y Combinator? I'd like to tie into something really quick that I think gave us a leg up on at least understanding what was going on, which was actually working with you, Ron, before getting into Y Combinator. Cause we, uh, it, it was almost like we were getting insight into the insight that we were getting, um, which was extremely valuable. And so, yeah, once we got into Y Combinator, a lot of it is, you know, there's, there's a lot of, uh, groups in there. And so you've got a parent te or a teacher student ratio that, uh, comes into effect, but, I'd say a lot of it was associated with uh, learning from other people's mistakes so that we don't make them quite as much. Uh, so there are a couple of core things that came out that you could tell they just deal with it hundreds of times a year where even experienced entrepreneurs come in and feel that things are a certain way. And they're like, no, it's just, it's not going to be that way. It's not going to be that way. And then you come out and yeah, sure, like the, the polishing thing is, is one that's always there. Um, sales, you know, getting a, you know, basically focusing on low-hanging fruits. Like, well, we'd really like to go after this group. It's like, well, what group's banging on your door and trying to, you know, get an install or get access to the application and focusing on those. So um, we, we were, uh, I guess, a little bit different just because, you know, I actually kind of felt bad in some of the meetings. Everybody's basically talking about how do we get people's attention? How do we, um, you know, how do we get users? And <laughs> We're like, hey, we're we're drowning. We have way too many people. How do we how do we deploy to um, give these people access to the platform? I think that made you guys a little popular there in the class, though. The fact that I mean, sales is one of the things that's always holding back the companies, but that wasn't fortunately for you. That wasn't really your thing. So, uh, I think that really helped you get through YC in a, in a way that a lot of people don't have the luxury of. It's mm -hmm. A lot more yeah. usually. <laughs> You know, part of the, I guess, the reputation of YC is that it's super hard to get into. I mean, it's harder to get into than Harvard is what you hear. But, um, you know, that's that's kind of true. Although um, I think there's, there's a formula that they're really looking for. And uh, Ryan has really cracked the code on this and was a great coach for us going into it. Basically, I mean, if you know, like, you've got to have these, these certain key characteristics, like you got to be targeting a certain size market. Um, and obviously, like, restaurants that's that's a big market um you got to be uh, easily scalable um and where anything in software is going to be scalable i mean that's uh, uh but another one too is you don't want to do it too early or too late so if you're playing just with an idea you're probably not going to get in so if you look at, at memphis meets i mean we had 20 years of experience working on this and we had a meatball, actually. I think that Ron was actually, before the famous meatball, there was the little fajita that I think Ron was the first person that yeah. got the tiny little nibble off of the corner of it. That was awesome. That was like the first second yeah. your meat in the world. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Um, late, late night in the lab. That's it. Yeah. And same way with Bite Ninja. I mean, we didn't just apply to it with, with to YC with an idea. I mean, 
we ran this in, in stealth mode for the better part of a year, um, running this in our own restaurants. And the way we were able to do that is uh, the customers had no idea we weren't in the store. So we're running these things from home offices. Customers are assuming we're in there. And we just kind of stayed under the radar until we thought, okay, now this system is great. And we actually, in the meantime, tore it down and rebuild it over a dozen times over the year. And then we finally had a system. We said, man, this thing is like the best drive-through in the world. Everybody's going to want this. Then we apply to YC um, with a, a working prototype, more than a prototype. I mean, an actual working system in the field. And I thought, well, I'm coming to it from a, um, from a restaurant owner point of view thinking, man, this is the awesomest restaurant ever, but who in the world is going to work these shifts? I mean, I can't even get people to staff my own stores. And this is where Oren's expertise comes in is, Oren is really an expert at managing remote companies. I mean, he's, and it's because he's got lots of experience doing this for years and years and years in the accounting field. I mean, when you do your taxes, is there any reason that your accountant needs to be in the same hometown as you? I mean, it's, it's silly to think about that. They're just doing it on their computer anyway. So um, what works for accounting really works for a lot of businesses. There's probably a lot of um, inspiration to come from this work from home movement for all industries really. Yeah, that's amazing is how, you know, it's interesting how both of your businesses sort of like inspire the, inspire the current configuration of Byte Ninja and, uh, and really help drive its success to date. Like it's a, it's a great story, which means I think it's also important to go out there, keep exploring, keep thinking about new things and finding problems, right? Or if there was a, you know, or let's, or let's say there was a mistake you made, uh, but you learned a lot out of it. Like, I'd like to hear about that. Like, uh, sometimes we talk about that. <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> My example, like I just remember. I mean, I don't know why, but I, I like, I remember some of the many times I've been wrong, and this some of them were like really low impact on me. But I remember sitting at my desk, and I was, I saw the news like, Google just bought YouTube for a billion dollars. I'm like, what? They paid a billion dollars for that? How could that be? You know, like why would they pay so much money for it? it sounds stupid, you know. And now it's almost replacing television, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, like just eating that, that was a very private dish of crow, but I, I, uh, I, I'll never forget it. And uh, it really helps me sort of like navigate, like, uh, you know, believing ideas can be big. So I don't know, any, any stories like that for you guys? Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you absolutely can know too much for your own good sometimes. So Come and get Memphis meats. I mean, I'm, I'm the guy that has 20 years experience in tissue engineering. And I, I know exactly how much hard work it's going to be to turn this into an actual profitable company. Um, and, you know, it, it, just think how hard it is just to run a, a freaking restaurant. I mean, <laughs> you know, that's, that's crazy. Now, we're going to grow meat to feed the world. I mean, that just seems like an absolutely unbelievably hard task. Um, I was convinced we could do it because we were doing it. We were making prototypes. Now, was I convinced we could scale this up to massive amounts? I mean, maybe, but um, I knew that was going to be a crazy, crazy hard job. And the thing is, like, I was uh, amazed also that Indie Bio, Ron, that was, in, I guess, in charge of it, um, even accepted us to the program. But I thought, man, no way, no way in a million years is people going to invest in this. Um, but here is the mistake that I made. I thought, well... I've got to convince people to turn over their hard-earned money to invest in this to turn a profit. That's not the only way to invest. I mean, there are plenty of billionaires, like Bill Gates, for example. He's not just investing to, to turn a profit. He's investing for the greater good. So you, know, you take something like Memphis Meats. Now you've got groups like 
Mercy for Animals, PETA, and all these animal rights groups that are super motivated to take, well, I mean, they're taking donations and then they're, we'll call it quote, investing it into companies to, um, to grow a profit. But really, if you don't grow a profit, they've still done their job. They've taken the investment dollars and invested into something better. And there's a lot of companies like that. Um, Memphis Meats was great because the animal rights groups, especially the vegans in San Francisco, I mean, it's like its own little religion out there. And um, uh, everybody gets behind it and they all like each other's social media posts. There's other groups too. I mean, education tech is huge. I mean, just coming out of COVID, I mean, if you've got an idea for education, you don't really have to show that it's going to be profitable because there's going to be all these groups that want to invest for the greater good. And there's even specific, I mean, um, specific venture capital groups that invest in education. Um, now, it's obviously much better if it's profitable. And I think they all want it to be, pro they all believe it'll be profitable, but they're willing to wait an extraordinarily long amount of time for it to happen. I think the typical, you know, YC tech company, they expect it to be earning revenue and being super profitable in like 18 months. Uh, mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, a lot of these meat companies and so forth, they're, they're taking a lot longer, but uh, you know, their impact alongside the money uh, that the, the revenues that they'll be getting, uh, you know, that's what people are counting. And, you know, here uh, next year, Upside plans to they're opening their first plant and they're they're planning to actually produce some of this meat next year. Uh, but th that did take longer than, say, putting a website together and <laughs> hooking it up to right. some remote workers. Uh, and uh, so th that's a really excellent point. It's a really excellent point. People can be patient if your idea is amazing enough. Right. And I've, I've got, a, you know, probably a dozen biotech type ideas spinning around there. But um, I mean, nothing scales as easy as software. So, I mean, I'm always kind of gravitated towards the software type ideas to start, but um, yeah, I mean. Who knows if you'll go next with that? Yeah, that's right. All right, what about you, Oren? Like, uh, you know, yep. tough experience, tough lessons? Yeah, I'd say one of them was always just in creating a startup that's uh, starting with a good foundation. Um, it was kind of a hard lesson early on. And then going forward from that, um, I did a lot of research on uh, like universal system mechanics and things like that and finding uh, or what we felt was three critical characteristics um, that indicate a successful system. And those it really just boil down to truth, love and order, which truth being you want to introduce valid, correct data into the system. You want things to be accurate. You don't want there to be you don't want any false information to be injected into the system. And you always want to pursue what the, the accurate truth is. And so from a, a business example, you don't want to lie to yourself about what the data you want the data to be. You really need to be working with good data. Um, otherwise, you're going to be basing decisions off of something that's not real. Um, love is really more just based on making decisions that are in the best interest of the founders, that are also in the best interest of the team, that are also in the best interest of the customers that if possible, are also in the best interest of the community and trying to guide decisions that way to where you're not um, you're not creating solutions where there's a win-lose, but there's actually a win-win. And in Bike Ninja's case, there's a win-win-win where the customers, the customers' customers, and the team are all experiencing good things. Um, in order, coming from really just always trying to innovate in a way that is the best way to do something. Don't create a some type of bias that you're doing something that 
you feel is good or that is best, you should just all agree that we're trying to get whatever is best. And so um, trying to create startups that uh, are based on a good, solid foundation like that, and everybody has an understanding that we're trying to pursue those things, um, helps guide helps guide your mission, your vision, your values, and ultimately your culture. Yeah, I've never heard it said that way. Truth, love, and order. I like that one. I like that very much. Well, guys, that was. Uh, I think that was. I think that's all we've got the time for. I hope that. Uh, I hope that uh, you guys have next year even better than this last year. It's going to be. It's going to be tough to beat that this last year. Um, once again, today's episode of Startup Possible was sponsored by Fullscale, helping you build software team quickly and affordably. Find us on Instagram at Startup Hustle Podcast or check out the YouTube channel. I'm Ron Chigetta, the guest host here with Will Clem and Oren Wilson. Um, and speaking from uh, from my company, iAccelerate.tech, uh, we we work with ambitious companies like Byte Ninja and these guys to help them reach their full potential. I will see you guys on the next on the next edition of the podcast. Guys, thanks very much for coming. Thank you. I appreciate you having us. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. <laughs>